What's up, everybody? This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org, and I'm Dave Stovall, your host. Today, we're listening to part two of an episode featuring Sandy Mason from The Bonhoeffer Project. He's been talking about defining the word gospel and how effective our words are and how they actually mean something when we're winning people to the gospel and as we're making disciples, hopefully to make other disciples. I, for one, I grew up in the South, and the gospel that I was handed was believe this list about Jesus, and then you get into heaven one day. You don't want to go to hell, do you? But it didn't really call me to laying down my life for Jesus the way that the Bible describes it. So it's very important. So if you haven't listened to part one yet, make sure you skip back to the previous episode and listen to that before going any further. All right, this is Sandy Mason of the Bonhoeffer Project talking to us about the gospel. Enjoy the episode, everybody. All right, glad you're here, folks. We're going to talk about a couple things this morning. Let me uh, let me just invite uh, the Holy Spirit to be the teacher before we get started. Let's pause and talk to Him. Father, thank you for the rich privilege that we have to just rush into Your presence at our convenience. To the living God is ridiculous, and we're grateful. And we pray, uh, Holy Spirit, that You would uh, speak today. That You would be our teacher and guide. Uh, Use uh, whatever is helpful to every story. You know every person here and what you're doing with them and in their ministry. I pray this will be a fruitful experience. Uh, To the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. So, what's the uh, famous last words of the church is, we've always done it this way, right? Uh, Change. Let's talk about change. Uh, We're all wired different for change. So who here, you would say, uh, I like change. I move my furniture around in my family room every six months. All the time you like change. Okay, I didn't see a lot of hands. Who, change? Who is like, I like things, I like tradition, status quo, I like things to be the same. Who's, who's in that? Yeah, most, see, and that's, that's your church population. The, the challenge for you in your ministry or your local church, your, your discipleship group, whoever you're leading, is that change is what Christ is up to. Another word we use for change is transformation. But uh, too much change can make people sick and even turn against you, and that can be a problem if you're the pastor. So uh, change has to happen or you're not leading. Your job as a, a leader of ministry is not just to make everything okay. Now, probably, like in the churches that I've been in, the people who oversaw the money did not like change. I got an amen there. Yeah. And so they like everything to just rock along with a nice little increase in attendance and money. And they don't like pastors who make changes. Uh, I, I am just wired to do, to bring change. Uh, not for my own sake, I hope, but for the purposes of the kingdom. So, uh, my first church as a senior pastor, I was in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, which is suburb of Harrisburg. Got a couple nods. You know where that is? It's on the uh, west side of the Susquehanna. Uh, great people, little evangelical free church on Gettysburg Pike. In fact, one of the coolest things is we were about 20 minutes away from the Gettysburg battlefield. 
And uh, growing up out west, we didn't have any historic sites, just a lot of Indian ruins to go visit. But to move out to the east and actually walk on that battlefield was a phenomenal experience for me. So we were out there all the time. In fact, we had a guy in our church who was a trained guide for the battlefield. He could take you for an hour through one field, just talking about what happened here, and this guy got shot, and this guy. I mean, he knew the stories you've heard where the bullet hit the guy's Bible in his pocket and didn't kill him and all those great things. Love Gettysburg. But this church was, was stuck in some, some traditions. Uh, one of their traditions is uh, we don't want to fla- flaunt where we are. God will bring people to us. So when you drove down Gettysburg Pike, the church was down in a little hollow down a, a road, and there was no sign to say West Shore Evangelical Church. Oh, I named the church. Don't look it up. They're great people. In fact, they both knew. Anyway, so the only way you knew West Shore is down there is on the mailbox. On the mailbox were the little magnetic letters, West Shore Church. So every week I'd have people come in and go, Pastor, sorry, sorry we're late, but we couldn't find you guys. We kept driving past it. You know, yeah. Then when you, if you found it and you drove down in, the parking lot was, was just big gravel rocks. And if you live out in Pennsylvania, you guys know this weather can make that miserable. It tears up the tires. Uh, your leather shoes get wrecked. It was just, uh, just dumb. But the, the tradition was we don't want to spend money on asphalt. We want to spend it on people. Sounds very spiritual. Uh, the other thing is uh, the youth group was growing, and they had no vehicle for the youth, and so they're borrowing everybody's vans and cars. And so I realized, you know, we, we need a church van for the youth pastor to take kids to stuff and not just keep borrowing everybody's cars and the insurance hassle and getting it clean and all that stuff. So my first big congregational meeting, I wanted to do three things. I said, oh, oh, gosh, and one more. Oh, this is a big one. They did not take an offering. Uh, you came to church, and in the back was a little box uh, bolted to a folding chair. That was the offering box, and you put your offering in there. So, of course, visitors would come, and every Sunday, oh, pastor, I guess you forgot the offering. Here's my offering. Well, you know, and I'm not supposed to touch the money. That was a big no-no. So, oh, don't give it to me. Get Put it over in here. Uh, so my first big congregational meeting, I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put up a sign so when people drive by, they can find us. And then we're going to pave that sorry, rocky parking lot so we're not ruining people's shoes. And we're going to pass an offering plate. Oh, did the room get quiet. In fact, one elder, as I got up to give my presentation, I'm the new senior pastor. This is my first senior pastorate. Uh, he whispers to me, honest, he whispers to me, you know, Sandy, this could be your Waterloo. <laughs> if you know history, that was not a good day for Napoleon. And yeah, the elder telling me as I got up to make the presentation. Like, so I guess you don't have my back on this one. Is that what you're saying? So, oh, the gossip and, oh, he just wants to build a big church. He wants a big sign. Oh, he just cares about money. Just practical things. We started passing a plate. And guess what? The giving went up because people didn't walk out with their offering. They had somewhere to put it, to give it to us. But it was such a lesson for me and uh, change and that change has to be done well. 
but you got to do it. If you're leading folks, you've got to bring change. That's what Christ is doing. Uh, his wonderful, powerful illustration, you can't pour new wine in old wineskins. So uh, as you grow people and you grow ministries, there's got to be new wineskins, new forms, new ways of doing things so that the Spirit of God can flow because it's just human nature in churches and organizations that we create uh, stiff old wineskins because they're comfortable and we've been doing it. How many of you are in a church that's like more than 50 years old? Anybody in those? See, you know exactly about the old hard wineskins and the traditions that can be so difficult. So you're, it's not about change for change's sake, but God is always doing a new thing. And as humans, we hang on to the forms. I mean, that's why every new young generation uh, complains about the old generation and we complain about them. I mean, don't get me started about millennials, right? I can give you a whole litany of things they drive me crazy about. There's some in the room. God bless you. I know you, <laughs> us boomers drive you crazy. But so change is a reality. We have to change to grow in our relationships and our walk with Christ. And if you're leading, you've got to do change. Uh, one of the keys to change is uh, vocabulary, vocabulary. And we've uh, I just need you to know that I'm the pinch hitter this morning. We wanted our our president and uh, scholar writer to be here, but. Uh, Dan Lights, who's our president, uh, injured his bicep doing something silly. And uh, so the doctor wouldn't let him fly out. And Jim Thomas, I think, is out of the country right now on a mission deal. But these two guys put a book together, The Language of Disciple Making. Cindy, did we have any of these today if they wanted to get one? Oh, they're down at our table down in the gym. So, uh, this is just a wonderful book to help you make the case for a change in vocabulary and help the people you're leading to understand that you're not just being mean, that you're trying to honor Christ and what you're doing. But language, language is important. Okay, here's a fun quiz. Uh, don't yell out the answer. Just raise your hand if you know what a Davenport is. Wow. Okay, yeah. Who doesn't know what a Davenport is? Raise your hand. Never. Really, Leo? You're old enough to know that kind of thing. So, what's the Davenport? It's a sofa, which I guess was the name of a company that made sofas. And uh, so that became, so my grandparents would talk about going to sit on the Davenport. So that's, uh, but names have different meanings. What, uh, uh, what time is this is supper? When do you have supper? Six o'clock. Five to seven. Five to seven. Does anyone have supper like at noon? No, that's dinner. See, I out west dinner is supper, but dinner to you is noon. Words. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. All right. What's uh, what's the fizzy stuff that uh, you drink? Pop, how many would say pop? Soda. Coke. Coke, it's Coke. Hey, you can't participate. Sorry, brother, you're just the room guy. You can't play along. Watch your dials back there. Yeah, soda, Coke, pop. So, uh, I mean, and 
don't anybody get angry, but uh, in the political world, both parties right now are talking a lot about freedom, but they mean very different things about freedom. One means freedom of sexual expression. One means keep your hand off my guns. They all use, they're all, the campaigns are going to be all about, we're preserving America's freedom, but they mean very different things. So the, the point being in the church, words carry meaning, have history, have traditions. And part of the job as a ministry leader, as a disciple maker, a pastor is to help bring meaning to words that maybe have lost the potency or need a new definition. That's what I want to wrestle with. We have a great quote here that Jim picked up for his book. Leadership. This is good. I'll give you the reference. It's in the, uh, the book is Leadership on the Line by uh, Heifetz and Linsky. Leadership on the Line. Here's the quote. Leadership is disappointing your own people at a rate they can absorb. <laughs> the hope of leadership lies in the capacity to deliver disturbing news and raise difficult questions in a way that people can absorb, prodding them to take up the message rather than ignore it or kill the messenger. And uh, the pastoral a vocation is littered with uh, good men and women that uh, tried to bring change too fast and the people turned on them. And I, uh, I had that experience in that first congregational meeting uh, where people were ready to leave the church because I was going to take an offering, that that meant I must be wanting to get wealthy or something. Uh, disappoint people too much and they give up on you, stop following, may even turn on you. Don't disappoint them enough, and you'll never lead them anywhere. That's from uh, Bolsinger, Canoeing the Mountains. Isn't that a great title? Canoeing the Mountains. You got that from... Uh, disappoint people too much. Yes. Dis if you disappoint people too much, then they give up on you, stop following, may even turn on you. But if you don't disappoint them enough, you'll never lead them anywhere. So the nature of leadership... If God has uh, put you in a position of leadership is to disappoint people in love because you want to take them somewhere that, you know, Christ wants them to go. So the challenge is for you to search your motives. Uh, and that was a great gut check for me as a young, new senior pastor. What is my motivation for these changes? Uh, what, what do I really want God's best for this fellowship? And once I was. Uh, as sure as I could be about my heart, then I had confidence, even though the elder said, this is your Waterloo. Let's talk about words. What is uh, the gospel? What is the gospel? Uh, someone asks you, I hear you go into this Christian thing. What, what's the gospel? Nick, what, what's the gospel? What would you tell that person? Um. <clears throat> I would probably talk about Jesus, talk about what he did on the cross, talk about how he wants to be in a relationship with you. Great. Nick said, I talk about Jesus, what he did on the cross, and that he wants a relationship with you. Great. Good stuff. Somebody else, who can I pick on? What's the gospel? Tell me your first name again. Cindy. 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 What's the gospel? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Just what comes to mind? Jesus, what he did for us, 
sorry. Yeah, no. Because um, this is what people are going to do to you. They're going to ask you. That's a good word. Okay. You're doing great. All right. Somebody else. What's the gospel? Yes. Come, I'll come back to you. Hold on, Michael. The good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Great. The good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Sounds like 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, here's the gospel I passed on to you, and that's what he goes through. Michael Smith, what's the gospel? Well, um, technically, the last one kind of... <coughs> Did he steal your thunder? Technically, it is the fact that Jesus came to earth to save us from our sins by the death on the cross and his resurrection. And the good news part is that we will be resurrected and we will someday be with Jesus. Amen. 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 So, burial, death, resurrection of Jesus, because of his resurrection, Michael says, we'll be resurrected with him and be with him. Great. Now, let me share an uh, interesting experience in my ministry. So, my last church that we planted in the north part of the valley in Phoenix, uh, I'm preaching through Romans. That's I like to preach expository preaching, taking it through a book. So, we're going through the book of Romans which in my thinking is all about the gospel and is a full exposition of uh, sin and what's the response to sin, what Christ did, how do I come to know Christ? It's by faith, the example of Abraham. Abraham, there's some things he did to prove his faith, all that we have in the Holy Spirit. That Romans 8 is a chapter you can go back to every week for your soul's sake. 9 to 11, the mysterious, powerful, awesome sovereignty of God. And then chapter 12, here's how you respond. So so I'm preaching through Romans and I'm having a blast. And uh, there's a man in our congregation that has a, a doctorate, a PhD from the same seminary I went to. and had been pretty friendly and told me he's writing a commentary on Psalms. Brilliant guy. And uh, he asked for an appointment with me. Sure, come on in, Tom. So Tom and I meet. And uh, he says, Sandy, I'm concerned about something. Yeah, what's what's wrong, Tom? He goes, uh, I'm afraid that our people aren't hearing the gospel. I'm in Romans. I mean, I'm not doing, you know, three keys to a happy marriage or how to not worry so much. We're in Romans. And I said, they're not hearing the gospel? He goes, no, you know, I'm afraid that people are coming into church and you're not giving them, and here it is, here's what the gospel was to him. You're not giving him, them the plan of salvation. I said, brother, I'm laying out the plan of salvation. Yeah, but they're leaving and they're, they're going to be lost when they were, that might have been their one chance. You know, that whole kind of guilt deal of, man, somebody might walk out and you're going to meet them in glory and they're going to hell and say, you didn't tell me about Jesus. And, how can you sleep at night? You know, he's a Ph.D. in the Bible, and yet his understanding of the gospel is the plan of salvation. Now, the plan of salvation is true. Jesus died, and uh, if you receive him, John 1, you become a child of God and you go to heaven. Unfortunately, we've that's just a reduction of the whole story. 
And that's why if you saw one of, there's an organization uh, down in the gym, I don't know which one it is, but they've got a, a sign that just stops you in your tracks. It's, anyone see this? It says 80% of the folks that made a profession of Christ in three months are not in church. Did you see that sign? I mean, it's like, what? Well, what, what's happening? Well, they just got that little quick down and dirty plan of salvation. They didn't really know who Jesus is. They didn't really understand their sin. They didn't know anything about repentance or are they ready to repent. They were just invited to believe the information about Jesus and pray a prayer to accept him and were told you're in. And there was no life change, no transformation because they didn't get the whole story. So we've got a problem of definitions we got a problem with words. So folks in your ministry, folks in your church, when you ask them about the gospel, odds are, welcome you guys, glad you're here. This is Amway, and if you'll give me $100 a day, you're going to learn how to make a 1000 Is this where you wanted to be this morning? We're in the wrong room. So it's not, it's not that that plan of salvation isn't true. It's just not enough, and the real tragedy is that it does not lead naturally to discipleship. So what it does, it creates converts, but not disciples. And Matthew 28, 19 and 20 in my Bible does not say, go into all the world and make converts. What does it say we're supposed to make? Disciples. disciples. Come on, that's why you showed up. Thank you, man. All right, you earned your free ticket this morning. Uh, that's the problem. So words matter. So when you talk to people about the gospel, you want to help redefine for them a gospel that leads to Jesus being their Lord and Savior whom they want to follow. So uh, Sunday, I'm going to be preaching up at a church in Terre Haute, uh, World Gospel Church. I've got a young man that was in one of my cohorts, which, Cindy, are you going to come up and tell him what a cohort is when I get done? Thank you, sister. I can't do everything, you know? All right. All right. Uh, so Ben was in a cohort with me in Phoenix. He was a young associate pastor, and he's the new senior pastor in a church with a long tradition. And uh, they're a great missionary giving church. And they're one of those churches that on the wall. They got the, the world, and uh, they got markers where all the missionaries they've sent, you know, whether it's 10 bucks a month or, I mean, that. So their their vision is we want to get, Lots of flags on that. Go, that's great. But he says they have no vision for making disciples of their own people. So the message for the folks is come and give so we can keep sending messengeries. missionaries. Not bad, just not the gospel. The gospel is make disciples. It's interesting that when he told that little 11 who were still pretty, uh, you know, PTSD from the cross, and he's about to leave them, no one raised their hand and said, make what? So evidently they did have a sense of what he wanted them to do. And that's the astounding thing that you and I are here 2,000 years later because those 11 guys went and did that and made some disciples who made some disciples who made some disciples. And that's the hope of the world. Men and women, that's the hope for this country right now in this divided union is... Men and women like you who are discipling other men and women and teaching them how to disciple somebody else. 
And it's not magic and you don't need a PhD. You just need to find someone who's teachable and, and start doing it with them. What's your, what's your name, sir? Clayton. Clayton. Where are you from, Clayton? Okay. All right. Go ahead and interrupt me. I didn't ask for interruption, but go ahead. And I apologize for getting in late. I'm really angry at myself that I think I couldn't get here on time. But anyhow, I have baptized in, in, in conjunction with my ministry over 800 people. Wow. We can only account for in our effort to, to find out who's still faithful about 100 people, which is what you do. You're still beating the national average. <laughs> But God bless you that you cared enough to follow up and find out what's happening. The problem is, because, well, we've been trying to track our strategy. When I came out of Sunset School of Preaching, which is a Church of Christ school, the emphasis was on baptizing. And I got caught right up in that trap. Yeah. And I heard three ladies in my uh, first church say, I don't know why they left him as the minister. He can't baptize nobody. And I got on that horse. My point being, how do we consider people who have gotten baptized? Oh, man. Have not been oh, man. a disciple? Because I, I think we're getting a little too flexible with this. Because we're actually oh, man. You're just, you're just setting me up. It's like T-ball, man. You're just setting <laughs> me up. Yeah. So I don't know if you could hear on the recording. Uh, you see, oh, he's so proud of me. that. So Clayton... Uh, was in a movement that the emphasis was on baptism. And what that does, it makes it sound like that's the finish line. You got baptized, you're in. Now here's this cafeteria. The church is like a cafeteria. Go to a Bible study, go to Sunday school class, maybe help out here. But no vision that you've been given a baton to go disciple, lead someone else to Christ so that they will grow up in Christ. And so your action, what do we do? Oh, brother, we just got to burn it all down. No, that's not what we're going to do. We talked about change before you walked in. It was really good, so you need to listen we to the tape that, after. We call that dunk and drop. Dunk and drop, Michael, yeah. yeah. You don't teach them. Yeah. You know, that's not the end. It's the beginning. Yeah. yeah, Michael made the point. Baptism isn't the end. There's too many things we do in church that sound like, okay, that's it. And that's what we've done with discipleship. So I've asked people in my church, have you ever been discipled? And they'll tell me about a course they took and a notebook they have. Yeah, I, I did that. You know, that phrase that drives you, been there, done that. That's what, yeah, I did that discipleship thing. No, discipleship is your life. It's a lifestyle. And so what the, the first work of evangelism a pastor and a leader like you needs to do is in your church to re-evangelize people who are converts but think that discipleship is optional plan B instead of that's what Jesus is looking for. That's why there'll be people that'll say, hey, Lord, I prayed the prayer. And he's going to say, I don't know you because they weren't disciples. Jesus said, John 14, 21, uh, he who knows my commandments and keeps them, obeys them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by the Father, and I will love him and reveal myself to him. So it's obedience is the sign of genuine faith. As uh, Bonhoeffer, for whom we named our movement, the Bonhoeffer Project, he said, only he who believes obeys, and he who obeys believes. 
They're, they're tied together. They're not separate. People will react and go, wait, are you adding works? No, I'm just saying what Jesus said. So what's Jesus' invitation? That, you know, it's all over the gospel four different times in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's this. If anyone, if anyone, it's grace, wide open. If anyone would come after me, if anyone wants to follow me, so right away Jesus is making the point, I'm inviting you to come with me, not just raise your hand, a, a mental transaction of information, but if anyone wants to come with me, it's a life First thing you've got to deny yourself. That's repentance. We don't use that in our gospel presentations. In fact, there was a season when uh, theologians says repentance is law. Don't use repentance. We got to recapture Jesus' words. Just use his words. And then if you did it wrong, you can say, well, it's what it's your words, Lord. Versus, well, a theologian told me I shouldn't use that word anymore. That's not going to carry water on that day. So use his words. Quick. I, I think one thing that, that helps that I bring out is that believe, receive, obey are verbs. And verbs are action words. So what you believe is what you do. See, and that's what we lost. I, I'm for the recording today. So Steve said, uh, believe, receive, obey are action words. So believe is something you do. We've made it a passive mental transaction that you just give, you know, I, okay, I, I, like, I believe Biden's president, Lord help me, but uh, uh, I believe that information, but doesn't change my life. There's a powerful book, if you want to read more about this, by Matthew Bates called Salvation by Allegiance Alone. Isn't that a great title? Salvation by Allegiance Alone. And he's a scholar that studied the Greek word pistis, which is believe, that we have drawn all the color out of it and just made it something that you believe information versus in the first century, if you believe something, you gave allegiance to it. It comes from the military world where a general would say, Leo, do you believe I'm your commanding officer? Which meant, do I have your allegiance? Are you with me? So people in the first century, just what you're saying, Steve, understood, believe means something. If I believe you are the Lord Jesus Christ, that I'm going to give allegiance to you, where we've lost the power of that word. That's another word we got to redefine. Yes, sir. Wow. So his point for the recording, the word, the Greek word pistis can be faith and faithfulness, which sounds more like action in life and obedience, which is helpful. Thank you for that. So do we shift the onus of this dilemma exclusively on the respondent? Or are we saying that there's something dynamically not going on within the church? Yes. So Clayton asked, do we put, uh, we, we've got a problem. We've got people that have said, I believe and been baptized, but they're not following Jesus. They think that's optional discipleship. So the solution is uh, a commitment to a long road in the same direction to start discipling people with the truth of Jesus word. So I would say we got to go back to the Gospels, fall in love afresh with Jesus, with his call, his invitation, deny yourself, take up my cross daily and follow me. That's the Jesus invitation. It's different from this plan of salvation. Uh, count the cost. We never say to people because we want to get those hands raised in the service. So we don't say, now, I'm going to give an opportunity to come to Jesus, but consider 
count the cost. Well, Sandy, don't, don't discourage them. In fact, I was trained in evangelism explosion. If someone hesitated in my plan of salvation presentation, I would say, well, are you ready to pray the prayer? Well, I don't know. And I would give them reasons why they should. I mean, I was taught how to close the deal. Jesus would say, don't close the deal. You know what he's, you know what he's saying, really? It's what he said all through the Gospels, like John 15. Sandy, they don't choose me. I choose them. Uh, is it John 10, John 14? Uh, Only those whom the Father has given me will come. That's the tension of the sovereign purpose of God and my responsibility that ultimately Jesus is the one who saves them. So I don't need to close the deal. I need to present the truth. Did you raise your hand? You know, you're wearing out your turns, brothers. Your last one. Okay. Well, to his point, I think one of the difficulties is that we don't follow up new believers. Yes. So we need to establish them, equip them, engage them, and then send them out. But that's a process that we have to be involved in their lives with. Right. So Steve, for the recording, said that uh, we've got we've to grab that freshly baptized person and start discipling them right now so they understand they've entered into a lifestyle that's going to stay with them. The illustration I've used earlier, and then I'll grab you guys in a minute, is uh, in recovery ministries. Anybody AA? Uh, my dad's a recovered AA guy. I went to Al-Anon in the recovery ministries. You come into the group, whether you got a sex, drug, alcohol addiction, and all they want to know is your first name and you're new to the group. And they go, so uh, stand up and tell me your name. And you go, hi, I'm Sandy. I'm an alcoholic. That's all they want to know. But you've established the common ground. I got a problem. Then the next thing they do with you is they give you a sponsor. So no one does this alone. They have a sponsor, a discipler. And then the discipler brings you the book. They call it the big book. It's the, the, the 12 steps to sobriety, and they're going to take you through it. And the last thing they say before you leave the meeting is, you, this is not a three-month deal, a six-month deal. This is a lifetime commitment to recovery. That's what we need to do in the church. They stole that. The, those guys that started AA were Christian men that took the truths of Scripture and repentance and discipleship and, and used it to recover people. But we've made sin so nice that we never, we don't say, hi, I'm Sandy who needs help with sin. It's, you know, oh, well, I work for this company and I do this, I have this many kids, all nice stuff. But we've, we keep avoiding the real issue is even though I know Christ, I still have the world, the flesh and the devil after me. And I need accountability and prayer and support and friendship. And I need to be discipled and be in the word. And I need to learn how to disciple somebody else. That's the hope of the world, dear ones, is regular folks discipling other regular folks, not the professionals like me you know, spewing truth. Somebody said, uh, it's like in the church, we're feeding babies by taking the milk bottle and just spraying it over them. You know, no, a baby has to have the bottle held and put in its mouth and fed. And that's how new Christians need to be. Uh, one more illustration. I know you I'm so glad you have questions, Leo. I don't know where the bathrooms are. I'll find out about that. For uh, big church, Willow Creek. Anybody heard of Willow Creek? Chicago. I, just give me, give me one minute. <laughs> one minute to, only because you're wearing the shirt. That's the only the, reason. Uh, to the point about uh, evangelistic events. Yes. Got to have follow up. Um, we've been doing follow up for <clears throat> five or six years on a big 
Pittsburgh evangelistic uh, event, day-long conference called Man Up Pittsburgh. Get around 1,500 men from all around greater Pittsburgh. And what we've found is very, uh, uh, approximately maybe 150 men will fill out cards, say they've committed or recommitted their lives to Jesus, uh, call me, contact me, I want to follow it up on. And so we'll get about a dozen of our guys making calls to those 150. We're seeing a tiny fraction of that, even in terms of getting callbacks when we leave voicemails. <sighs> and we'll, we'll use email, um, but we're, we're really only connecting with, you know, three to five percent. Yeah. Of all the guys who said, yes, follow up with me. Yes, I made a commitment to Christ. Yeah. And and so the Bonhoeffer Project says, you know, a non-discipleship gospel isn't going to produce Jesus' kingdom disciples. Yeah. And and so the gospel that's that's going out is it's a non-discipleship gospel. It's a right. pray with me. Right. Let's close the deal, punch your ticket, and, right. and, and give you that assurance to heaven. So for the recording, what Leo is saying is he's in Pittsburgh doing men's ministry. They do uh, evangelistic events with men. You'll have 150 men sign a card. I prayed a prayer. I, I'm, I'm a new Christian, but only three, maybe 5% ever actually have any kind of interest to be followed up on. So... Uh, my last illustration to that point, and then I'll take a few questions before Cindy comes up. Uh, Willow Creek, big church, South Barrington, Illinois, mega church, thousands coming on Sunday, influenced all the world. I mean, God used them wonderfully to uh, wake us up to we have to reach lost people because churches, we get stuck in you know our comfort zone. So that was the gift of Willow Creek. But what uh, Bill Hybels at the time they had a system where you would come to the seeker service. So that was the outreach service on the weekend. And it'd be 15 minute message on a felt need topic and cool music and a funny skit and 59 minutes exactly. And you're out of there. And then if you made a decision for Christ, you were supposed to be come into what they called new community, which was the midweek worship church experience. But what they discovered is people weren't making that move. And uh, so they had, he paid a lot of money for a professional research team to come in and find out what, what made people, people that made a decision for Christ, what was the key ingredient, and then what, what moved them to get into a discipling relationship and become part of our, our church community. And they, they mapped it out, and the key ingredients to every step of change was so basic they had a friend that they trusted and he could tell the truth and they were in the word together. Whether it was how they came to Christ or how they kept growing in Christ, they found out that getting people to serve had no bearing on their maturing in Christ. Hate to tell you that because we always tell, hey, come serve. That's how we grow in Christ here. Come serve. I think, I think it's on the wall down here in this church. Nothing against, but it's just how we think. You know, if we get involved in service, they found out service had no bearing. The whole magic sauce, secret sauce was being with someone they trust that they could tell the truth and being in the word together. So you can do this, dear ones, but that's what we've got to get our folks back 
to the gospel of Jesus, which is take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. It's what any good coach says to an athlete. Any coach worth his salt that sees an athlete with potential says to them, I will coach you, but you can't go get this coach. You can't hire out this guy. You can't go. I'm your coach. You got to say no to all the other coaches and you got to say no to your ideas of how to be a great athlete. Because when I was in sports, everybody just wanted to play games, play games. And the coaches would make us do things like drills. No one liked drills, but if you didn't do drills, you were lousy in the game. So a coach says the same thing. You got to deny yourself, take up my game plan, my agenda, and that will make you the person you want to be. That's what Jesus is saying. The only way we make disciples is if they say no to what they think is a good life and their idea of the Christian life and take up my word and I will make them into more than they could ever imagine. All right, I'm going to stop there. Yes, sir, Dim. Change. You started out with change. Yes, change. How do we make change in our community and congregation? Yeah. Oh, man. Cindy? <laughs> Woo! Closing the deal. You're closing the deal. Come back at 3.30. Yeah, and uh, these guys in their book talk about that. Uh I would just say uh, change has to happen. It has to be done wisely, slow, probably slower than you want it to happen, but it, it's got to happen. So, are you, so you're going to discuss that at 3.30. Yes, yes. Okay. Has to model it. So you were talking about that language. Yeah. So what is the key words today that are being missed? Uh, wow. Missed Kevin, you, this is a setup for the book. Okay, so here's their table of contents. Gospel, which we kicked around. That's a big one. Disciple. What's a disciple? That's important. People have to know that a disciple is a lifelong follower of Jesus. That's a lifelong thing. It's not a class or a notebook, a seminar. Uh, culture. How do we change culture? What's the plan? What's multiplication? Multiplication is the whole key. Second Timothy 2.2. 2. Uh, I've entrusted these things to you that you will entrust to faithful men who will give it to others also. So that, that's, uh, but this is a helpful, I would say look in your context. You probably know the words that need fresh definition and begin to solve the system. Awesome stuff from Sandy and the Bonhoeffer team. Up next, we've got more from the Bonhoeffer Project. We've actually got a couple more episodes of theirs featuring Cindy Perkins along with the rest of the Bonhoeffer team. So make sure to hit subscribe. Stay tuned for when we release new episodes. And as always, thank you so much for being a listener of the Disciple Makers podcast. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you.